Now the sermon we brought to us today by our elder Barnabas Grayson, entitled, Is Your Religion a Remnant Religion? Mr. Grayson. Well, is it? <laughs> we shall answer that question. Good afternoon, everyone. It's been pretty hot, especially the last two weeks. I've as you, some of you know, Carolyn and I are moving close to this uh, wonderful city, <laughs> leaving our hometown after about 50 some odd years or so. And she's been busy with all the detail work about finances and things and how much it's going to cost. You know, it says that you've got to count the cost before you build. And uh, I've been doing all the grunt work for the most part because I can't think like she does. And she's got it all going in that direction. And so we moved most of the furniture, most of our belongings up to the new house. Actually, not we, but uh, two, uh, was it three men in a truck? <laughs> three men in a truck did it for us, and uh, I'm r really thankful for that. But it's really been hot this August, and I can see why uh, Ron's thinking about fall and the feast, because, you know, it, there's, it's that time of year when you can feel a little bit of coolness. And uh, being outside for the most part, and, you know, doing woodworking and also gathering things together uh, for the move, uh, I've been in that sun quite a bit. And uh, I'm getting a real good tan, in case you ever... <laughs> yeah, somebody might hire me, you know, for a tanning salon or something. Hey, I like that tan. <laughs> Where'd you get it? Well, I don't know, but it won't rub off. <laughs> We had to get our cat and dog kind of used to uh, the new location. And it, it feels kind of strange after so many years in a, a town that you're familiar with, and you look around and you see people that look like people that you might know and you follow, but yet, yet uh, it's all kind of strange, and we're going to have to become adjusted to all this. And probably we'll be coming a little bit more on time now, Lawrence. I'm not sure. <laughs> after so many years of, you know, traveling long distances, Anyway, uh, on your bulletin it says untitled. I think this is the second or third time that I've uh, come up with that title, but changed my mind. And so the title is on the board back there. And one of these days I am going to maybe find out, look for a topic that is untitled. <laughs> Try to fit something into it. Uh, but let's begin in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, and uh, verse, uh, we'll start with uh, verse 1. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made you and formed you from the womb, which will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeserun, whom I have chosen. That name just means the upright one. And we're looking at the Israelites in whom there is no guile. And when you look at this scripture, you also see, uh, thus saith the Lord that made you, the Lord that formed you from the womb. He put all of those things into uh, a program. We will call it DNA. And that's why we're here today. Individuals. Various things uh, as, you know, as to our appearance and our personality and all of that, things that go along with it. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. And that's a great promise, you know. 
I was thirsty a while ago, so I went back to get a drink of water. And, that's, and when you're really thirsty, water tastes good. Uh, Carolyn drinks water all the time, you know, but I can't drink water all the time because it just doesn't have that flavor, so I put it in the form of maybe a soda <laughs> or something more tastier like a Kool-Aid or Tang. But y you know the wetness and the feel of water is very, is very pleasing. And so this is the way we can look at the Holy Spirit. It is a, 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 like water that refreshes the soul and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offspring. So God is making a promise to his children. So you know that when in our course in life we happen upon dry ground, hot weather and so on, life might become difficult. But he will see us through and he has seen many of you through the various difficulties and problems and trials and troubles in your life. And that's his promise to his, to his children because of the Holy Spirit and like water it will refresh. And they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the water courses. You know, you go along the river and you can see these willows. They're bending over just as though they're, you know, bowing toward the river, toward the water, drinking in that water. So do the cottonwoods too. But this is what water does. It makes things grow. And that's the way the Holy Spirit is. It will make things grow. It will make your attitudes better, your life better, if you let it, if you absorb that water, take root in it. But one shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. He's the only God. He's the only one God. There's, there's no other, he's saying. Beside me there is no God. There is no other power or authority. And who is I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto me, unto them. Fear you not, neither be afraid. Have not I told you from that time and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. So as we look upon this scripture, we come to a part where in verse 9, it says, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity. These gra graven images that people make, they're all vanity. They're all foolishness. And their delectable things shall not profit, and they are, own, uh, and they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know that they may be uh, ashamed. They think that what they're doing is the right course to take the, by making these things, these images. But in the end, they, they are ashamed. Verse 10, who has formed a God? A molten, or molten, a graven image that is profitable for nothing. So, whatever thing you have that represents you, your beliefs, your attitudes, your feelings, is, is your religion. And sometimes people like to put that into some sort of a, a tangible form. Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up, 
yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. It's kind of a case of the blind leading the blind. They all fall in, into a, uh, 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 a ditch because the smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashions it with hammers and work, worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he's hungry and strength, his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. And then you have this other profession, the carpenter stretches out his rule. He makes it out with a line. He fits it with planes and he marks it out with a compass and makes it after the figure of a man according to the beauty of a man that it may remain in the house. So all of these things that represent this person's religion is all just made from the hand, made by these various people that are skilled in certain areas. He hews down cedars and takes the cypress and he takes the oak in which he strengthens for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants an ash and the rain does nourish it. Then shall it be for man to burn. So, you know, trees provide lumber, they provide timber, timber for lumber, to build houses, to, uh, in those times back then, to burn and to warm yourself by uh, the flames that uh, are coming from this wood. Yea, he kindles it and bakes bread. Uh, he, make, you know, he makes his uh, food over this uh, fuel this, in this fire. Yea, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falleth down thereunto. So he makes these figures of his religion, his beliefs, his perhaps his superstitions, not of the true God. So he burns part of it in the fire. With part thereof he eats flesh. He roasts his roast and is satisfied. Yea, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue. This residue is the remnant, and the remnant of all of those, uh, the tree that he's cut down, whatever he has left, thereof he makes a god, even his graven image. He falls down unto it, and worships it, and prays unto it, and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. In these verses, we can perhaps picture a caveman, or a primitive human being, uh, occupied with the sa satisfaction of, uh, of his needs, of doing, uh, getting uh, what he needs and what he wants. It takes all of his time, takes his energy, but it doesn't really matter. And from what is left of the tree he's chopped down to make his shelter from, to cook his food, to warm himself, to make tools with, <clears throat> he uses to make an idol out of the rest of it. He uses the rest of it to make his religion out of it. And somewhere along the line, out of fear of enemies or some sort of storm or whatever, he makes a god out of the residue, the leftover remnants. And because of some perceived fear, he becomes religious. And he appeals to that image for his protection, for his, uh, his direction. And his religion, thus, is from an unused remnant. Whatever is left over from, from his time, his material, whatever is left over of his material, whatever is left over of his energy. In this move that we are, are making, I can see where uh, this, these scriptures are coming from because you kind of, you tend to put off 
the first things. Your prayer, your study, your thinking, your attitude toward the true religion. And so there sometimes if there's, there, there's enough time left over, you pray. Or enough time left over, you study. And sometimes you fall, and we fall into that trap of, of, uh, of not giving you know, our, our whole energy, our whole time to the things that are really important in life, the spiritual things. But have you ever said or thought to yourself, well, I've got to get this done, or I've got to get that done. If I have time or enough energy left over, I'll do, do this or, or, or that. And we sometimes do forget to pray. We put off study, and we do the other things that uh, make growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ secondary. And so our religion then becomes a remnant religion. Things that are left over. Things that we can, you know, sort of just take out of our pocket. Well, this is left over. This is what, it, uh, this is what I've got. So there are all sorts of things in this life that can get us off track. Our jobs, our businesses, whatever things that we're doing in life have a way of hindering our growth and, our, and, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, along the way, in our seeming comfort in life, you know, lukewarmness or stubbornness or laziness can set in. It can become a habit, become something that we just can't uh, seem to uh, do right away, and so we put it off, which can be a dangerous thing. So, Prayer and praise and thanks are, you know, just become far, uh, few and far between so, uh, because people just get too busy, too tired, too lackadaisical. But then, suddenly, the sky darkens and there is some uh, a fear of some sort. So where do they turn? They turn then to the religion, to the remaining faith that they might have, to whatever they have left of their faith or religion, their remnant. So they pray, deliver me, and I will serve you forever, O God. Just take this trouble away from me. They promise everything, which, you know, to, uh, which to that point they have given a, a very little to God. Fears, distress, trials, troubles can, of course, change one's course in life for the better and good. But as in many cases, after those promises and vows, and I'll do this or that if you'll do that for me, uh, sometimes those promises are forgotten and, and broken. We know that Pharaoh relented under pressure, but then he hardened his heart when the situation changed to his favor. And sometimes we are like that. That's human nature. He's not the first to do that. It's like the Apostle Paul asked, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And we know that the answer, and that is Jesus Christ. So, when we look at the words of Christ, we know that he said that religion should not just be a part of life. It should be all of life, and not just, you know, the remnants of what we might have to give. Over in the book of uh, Mark, chapter 12, verse 27, start verse 27, and I'm going to read the whole chapter, no, I'm just kidding, don't you feel better, where are we, 
got to find 27. It begins with, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Those two sentences, statements, tell us something about the God that we worship. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. Those who are asleep now are in his care, but it's we who are alive that he is the God of the living. So therefore, he has concern for us, and he has concern for the direction in which we are going, the attitudes that we have in life. So one of the scribes um, came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered to them well, asked him, well, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all, the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, Israel, the people of God, hear, O people of God, the Lord, our God, is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and we have that word all, all. And the second is like, namely this, you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Sometimes, you know, when people wrong us, or we sometimes uh, come across people who cross against us uh, along the roads and the highways and the byways, maybe someone who doesn't you know, exactly uh, say hi to us or, or, or recognize us, we sometimes, you know, don't love him as much as we should. We think, well, oh well. Uh, we, that's an attitude that we probably need to correct, not have any ill feelings toward anyone. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, you have said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And so they go into other things here. But we see that those two commandments, love toward God, love toward neighbor, with all you know, our heart, our mind, our soul, and to know that there is a, a living God who is looking after the living, looking down upon us, trying to, at least through his word, through scripture, direct our life. In times past, followers, they use these phylacteries and they use these frontlets on them, you know, to keep them in mind of God. They would wrap these things around their wrists and, or they put these frontlets, these things on top of their little box-like thing on top of your head. Uh, can you imagine doing that today? You know, it, it would look kind of strange in our society today, but then, you know, that's the way sometimes people will wear their religion. Today, some, however, use more modest emblems of, of their faith, like, you know, crucifixes, uh, crucifix necklaces, rings, or armbands, you know, like the one that says, uh, that plastic one that says, WWJD, what would Jesus do? But we know that through the Holy Spirit that is given to us, the thought of God and his laws is written into our hearts. It's written into our minds. Unless, you know, we just keep suppressing those words and we, then we forget about it. But religion is a system of attitudes. It's toward, toward beliefs and uh, about and practices and worships, uh, they're either false or, or true, and we know that there's one way, one Lord, one baptism, one faith. Isaiah 
is often regarded as the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He's regarded as a prophet of redemption. He gives dire warnings and exhortations and also predictions, however, of better days that are ahead. Now, while we are a nation based on Christianity, more or less, we're, a lot are just giving lip service to that, to that belief, to that religion. And for the most part, not doing the things that, you know, Christians should stand up for. Because when you look at our condition in our, in our nation today, you realize something is wrong and things are going wrong and we know the reason. Let's turn now to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Verse 1, it says, the vision of Isaiah, the, that name signifies salvation of the Lord, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Early in the church, I remember uh, a lady that uh, we often talked about, you know, the tribes of Israel and then Jerusalem, how that if you look in the middle of the 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 name Jerusalem, you see USA. It's kind of neat. Uh, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the eternal has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people does not consider a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. Now you can take each one of those descriptions and look at our society today to kind of see how these things are so. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. So that's the reason why we see the conditions that we see in, among much of the world even today. They're gone away backwards. So what's the solution? Let's look at verse 16. Isaiah saying, the uh, salvation of the Lord, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. That's, that's basically, we, which, what, if you had the opportunity, what would you do if this one message that you could give to the nation, to other people, to turn from their evil? Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Eternal. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's a, a really great scripture because sometimes there are people who say, you know, I've got so much sin, I don't think God would ever take me. I've got so much in my past that how can I be made clean like that? But this is a definite promise. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, red's one of those stains that you can hardly get out. 
and then for it to be made white. That's, that is a loving promise of Jesus Christ to each and every one of us. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So there are ways that we learn our lessons in life, but we see that faith and obedience to God must be consistent, must be whole, not just a remnant. So what is our idol in life that you know, will come between us and God? Ezekiel chapter 14. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the eternal came unto me saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart. In their heart. You know, that's the thought. They, they've got their own imagination, their own righteousness. It's in their mind. It's in their heart. And they express it through, you know, the words that they say. And put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. So these things that they were thinking, these idols, they think they're right. They were, in actuality, putting a stumbling block before people. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them, and say unto them, Thus saith the eternal God, Every man of the house of Israel that sets up his idols in his heart, and puts the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all abominations. So, what is our idol in life that can come between us, that can come between his will, his, his way? So, we know that our nation is the most blessed on the face of the earth at this time. In spite of many wrongs, the eternal still loves his people. And he will for as long as, you know, the gospel is being preached. And as long as there are righteous people. Just like you, as long as you're a righteous people. So as a righteous one in Christ, you know, our righteousness is in Christ. Uh, your life is very important. Let's look at Genesis chapter uh, 18. Genesis 18. Verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. You know, it seems like the eternal, very knowledgeable, he would already, already know. But it came down to see, to make sure. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the eternal 
you know, these, these beings, they were, they were heavenly spirit be beings in, in human form, which, you know, makes us aware that, you know, we meet a stranger, we should uh, be careful that we may be entertaining angels. But uh, Abraham drew near, and he said, Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure, or what if there be 15 right or 50 righteous within the city? Will you also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? We have attendance today of 57 people, 57 righteous that be far from you to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, and that be far from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So Abraham, we see, is making intercession through his prayer, this prayerful uh, statements to, to God, to these, to these uh, heavenly beings here. And the Lord said, this is the eternal speaking, and the eternal said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes, for the sake of those righteous. And Abraham answered and he said, well, wait now, behold now, I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes in a humble way. If there shall lack five of the 50 righteous, will you destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And so he goes on, verse 31, And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, if there shall be, be twenty found. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty seconds. So this is, you know, carried on. Finally, <clears throat> Abraham said, and he felt like, you know, he was kind of taxing the ears of the eternal. He says, Oh, let not the eternal be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. This one more time. Peradventure, if ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And so the uh, eternal went his way, and as soon as he had left communing with them, with, with Abraham, and, and Abraham returned unto his place. So you see how important God looks upon the righteous. He looks upon those who are ab absorbing the Holy Spirit, not making their beliefs, their faith, their attitudes, their religion just something uh, that they have, you know, spare time for. So the whole population of that area, of Sodom and, uh, and Gomorrah, through, uh, though, uh, multiple thousands, I don't know, uh, you know, how many, but there was a limit, of course, Perhaps Abraham could have asked, you know, maybe if they're just one. But we, uh, I don't see that it goes that far. So, we must not take our call to righteousness lightly, but make our election sure. We've heard that so many times before. <laughs> Someone's at the door. <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> So only, only God can save, and he will save the righteous who do not put him last in their life. And even in that saving, there are, there are those who are wicked who will also 
uh, be amongst that blessing. No idol can do that. No image of the imagination made out of stone or, or wood. Only God, only our true religion uh, can do that. So whatever we give to God must not be of lesser quality in what we have to give. But God deserves our full honor. Malachi chapter 1. Verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name? And you say, well, wherein have we despised your name? Well, you offer polluted bread upon my altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is, con is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto your governor. Will he be pleased with you or accept your person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This has been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? So, we must take care in our worship of the eternal. He is our Father. He deserves our honor in the way we think, in our attitudes, the way we speak, the way we act, the way we dress, and all of those things that are done in order to show honor unto him. And if we do less, do we think God is going to uh, accept it? So we know that we've been put on the road to salvation. But through life's ups and downs, there are a lot of twists and there are a lot of turns, a lot of curves, yet we still have hope. We may go off the road a little bit or more, but there's that road. We know the direction. It's just a matter of getting back on track if, you know, if we somehow we've uh, left the track. So knowing this, that our life has been spared you know, from that death penalty. So we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't think of, of giving less and our thanks and praise for, for that hope. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16, uh, verse 11 that is. Uh, but Christ being come a high priest of good things, of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in, in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that, every, that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. 
Now verse 28, let's drop down there. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So we have access to God. Let's go to chapter 10. Let me finish up here. Verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more, no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having as a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of your faith, having your hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, <clears throat> let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so it goes on telling how, you know, to give of our best to, uh, and to make it uh, quality. We have access to God through the priesthood of Jesus Christ. He gave his all for us, and we should also give our all for him. Put God first, and like in the first message, seek first the kingdom of God. So our day really should begin with uh, first seeking the kingdom, knowing that is, that is our destiny, that we must do the things that are going to get us to the kingdom. By grace we are saved, it's not of ourselves, but not to put it as our, our last thing or a remnant of our, of our energy, our time, or whenever it's convenient, but first things first, you know, like prayer. We know that the time is coming as we see things again brewing in the Middle East, that the trouble Daniel spoke of will be upon us. It will drive men to their knees. Is it this current situation, or maybe is it a situation months or years down the road? We don't know, but we have to be ready. But if we are found in righteousness and putting God first, we will have hope. Let's turn to Daniel, or you can look up here on the wall if you like. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation or a people, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So a time of trouble such as never was means if you go through history and you look at all the t terrible, horrible things, the accumulation of things that have happened since then, the time ahead is even going to be worse. You, you, that's the implication here. But on top of this bad news, the good news is, and the gospel is, at that time and at that time, your people, thy people, shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Name is written in a book. Probably with your new name that is coming. 
ever how you've overcome in this life. And he tells Daniel to shut up the uh, rest of the book and to go his way. So Daniel describes that time. Let's take a look at verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. You know, this being, uh, what is it, Labor Day? Yeah, Labor Day. All that traffic on the highway, you know, people running to and fro and so on. And knowledge shall be increased. You just take out your cell phone and you can, you can see how that applies. So, it all indicates that we're, you know, we're living in a time in which we should not be having a remnant religion. Let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 23, once again, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refuse, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. So you can't depend upon whatever you have left of your faith or your religion. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be there. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own uh, devices. So, in conclusion, seek the Lord while he may be found. In Matthew chapter 22, let's go on uh, there. There's a final reference. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 36 familiar once again read this already master which is the great commandment in the law and we you know put ourselves in that role of asking the question master which is the great commandment in the law so Jesus said unto him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and great commandment and the second is like unto it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So says our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's really not too late to stir up the gift that is in you by the laying on of hands. And if anything, the thing is to give of our best and not the remnant of our religion.